Hello and welcome back to another Wicked Good Book Club episode. We are on episode four now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is our second book pick for the month of March, which I loved. I loved too. Definitely. I love it's so different um, than mm-hmm. what we've been doing. And I love a good historical fiction that's not really about anything but like right. could have happened just like and, set in a different time period yeah agree right and taylor jenkin reed's writing is so good i really like her writing I, a lot yeah i thoroughly enjoyed her writing and i thought it was so well put together so if you don't agree. know we read the seven husbands of evelyn hugo by taylor jenkins reed as our second pick for march books and it was completely unintentional that we did two books this month where the major like plot driver is that the main characters are struggling writers who miraculously get their big breaks from strangers yeah (laughs) I was laughing last night when I was thinking about it I'm like oh my gosh like this is and the books could not be more different I mean Verity was obviously like (laughs) so totally different than this so that was kind of fun but overall just totally thoroughly enjoyed it yeah and I remember last episode saying that like there were some similar themes that were going to be happening like someone looking back on their past and telling mm-hmm. their life story and mm-hmm. then like you said like the the struggling writer getting a break so it's funny that we chose these chose these two books back to back but yeah the story itself very different so different but super i mean just super enjoyable yeah um and obviously it's a kind of historical fiction romance um novel and about 400 pages it was like a nice Mm one-off length to read the book was originally published in June of 2017 um but got really popular on book talk here like fairly recently and that's kind of how I'd I'd seen the picture of the iconic green dress cover Mm -hmm. and after watching the Oscars last night I just couldn't stop thinking that like Jessica Chastain in her green after party dress was like this book cover I mean she's stunning (laughs) yeah she's like stunning but I was just getting a kick out of it I'm like oh my god that looks so much like our book cover that's crazy yeah so um let's get into it what happened in the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo It starts out with Monique Grant, who's a 35-year-old writer for the Vivian magazine, and her editor, Frankie, brings her in and says that she has been chosen, like, by name to do an interview with a now-reclusive actress named Evelyn Hugo, who's 79, and the Evelyn, the actress, is about to auction off all of her dresses to send money to the breast cancer charity of her choice and it's thought that she wants to do a piece on you know why she's choosing to do the dresses or talk about the dresses or whatever Mm -hmm. um Monique is a junior writer and although she's got some promise she's not like she's not at the top she's not a writer at large or anything for this um magazine company so everyone's a little confused her boss is confused yeah. And her boss was even like, I'm going to be honest with you, we submitted back some other writers to go and do the story. And they wrote back like, you are nothing. So right. Monique is like, okay. And nobody knows why she's been chosen. And Frankie's like, are you, do you know her? And she's like, no. Um, yeah. Well, she says, she says that her dad worked on some movie sets like back in the day. Yes. But he was like a small productions or props person or something. And like, they wouldn't have crossed paths really. And if they did, nobody would remember. Yeah. So she goes to the actress's Upper East Side apartment to meet with her. And when they sit down to talk about it, she's like, hey, you want to tell me about these dresses? Evelyn drops the bomb that she wants Monique to write her tell-all biography. Because she has certain she's finally decided to tell the truth about aspects of her life that were previously only speculated about and was like I have no interest in doing this dress piece I have no interest hi puppies I have no interest in even letting Vivian um be the person who puts out this piece like I want you alone Evelyn's like hey I don't even want Vivian magazine to be any part of this I want you to author this biography for me and Monique is like wow this is my chance for a big break I'm gonna go ahead and do it yeah, even though there's a lot of uh, conflict about, you know, should she take this opportunity from her current job? Yeah, uh, because, I mean, if she decides not to do it through the magazine, obviously that could be really bad for the magazine. But she also, like, the magazine's kind of giving her an opportunity here, and so it, it looks bad. But I got to say, in this situation, I'd be like, hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You, I would have done the same thing. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So 
So Evelyn uh, launches into her life story. Um, starting at 14, she said she's living with her abusive husband or father. Sorry, not 14. Good God. <laughs> well, not that far I off. I mean, not that far <laughs> off. But at 14, she's living with her abusive father in Hell's Kitchen. Um, Evelyn marries her first husband, Ernie Diaz, in exchange for a ride to Hollywood. And yeah, she's probably like, what, 16, I think, she's, at that point? She says she's of age, but she's not. So they lie on the paperwork. So she's probably like 15. Right. So yeah, yeah it wasn't that far off. Um, so she gets a ride to Hollywood. Um, when she's there, she discovered she's being discovered by Harry Cameron, a young producer working for Sunset Studios. Uh, and then Evelyn seduces an executive at Sunset in order to get a part of Joe in the adaptation of Little Women. Yeah. Um, the studio wishes her to be seen publicly dating famous men, so she divorces her first husband, Ernie Diaz. Um, she then falls for fellow actor Don Adler on their first date. And then they marry uh, very quickly, which I mean, publicity and all that, but she also seems to really be in love with Dawn as well. So she does. Um, But then unfortunately, Dawn quickly becomes abusive quickly. Quickly. Yeah. Um, And it's worth noting that in the book, as we enter each chapter, talking about the different husbands, they all have monikers that go with them. So it's poor Ernie Diaz. Yeah. And then it's goddamn Dawn Adler. Yeah, which I mean, yeah. Probably right. Yeah, Yeah. probably right. (laughs) Um, He quickly becomes really abusive uh, and beats her whenever she doesn't obey whatever he decides. Mm -hmm. And like we've seen, you know, in our lives or other people, abusive relationships, he's one, he's really sweet and then really not and then makes up for it. So it really shows the abusive uh, relationship aspect. Yeah. And I mean... Don's like at this point Evelyn's getting a lot more famous she's getting a lot more recognition and his career is steadily declining the films that he's making are kind of flopping and she he's like well we need to have kids and that'll be like the new thing that people talk about and she tells him no and then it kind of kicks everything off and then things kind of start to get rocky with them but the production of Little Women does go ahead Evelyn had been turned down by Sunset Studios who she's contracted with um, in doing these serious parts until she had more parts under her belt so she's finally getting her break but she's 21 which is considered older in this arena Mm -hmm. that she's competing in so at 21 she stars opposite of Celia St. Germain or St. James who's 19 and Evelyn and her friend Ruby who is another older actress are pretty jealous of Celia's talent but Evelyn and Celia become pretty good friends. Celia's like, hey, let's go get milkshakes because she wants to be like seen out with Evelyn, who's more popular. And then in exchange, Evelyn's getting kind of acting lessons basically from Celia, who is more naturally talented than Evelyn. Yeah. Um, They form a pretty quick bond and they're at a party after the opening of the film. And Ruby tells Evelyn that she needs to stay away from Celia because Celia's a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And this is in the 1950s. So that was like, ruin your life situation was, yeah ruin your life ruin your family's life like huge scandal um and evelyn is like what it might, no way. it might have even been illegal at this point it may have depending on where you're maybe not in california maybe not in california but there were still but parts in the u.s were, where it yeah. may have been illegal at this point so. <laughs> texas yeah um, so evelyn in texas everyone <laughs> evelyn confronts celia in private to ask about it and celia's like do you not want to be friends with me if I am? And Evelyn realizes that it's not just friendship that she has for Celia. It's that she is starting to fall for Celia and they kiss. And then they're like, Oh gosh, like what have we done? Um, At the same party kind of going on at the same time, Dawn Evelyn's, still husband although it's obviously really rocky at this point yeah is ruby's like he's having sex with someone else so evelyn walks in and sees that and she's like that's it and yep. she divorces dawn and in exchange for the divorce evelyn gets the house and a lot of money but she has to sign an nda that says she's not going to tell anyone that he was abusing her yeah. which i mean same's par for the course really mm-hmm. But yeah. she divorces Don, and then she actually ends up moving in with Celia for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I believe Don comes from a pretty powerful family in Hollywood. So it's he not does. shocking that she chose that route of the NDA. Right. So. And, and I mean, this sets it up to where Evelyn 
starts to get kind of blacklisted everywhere because Don's like, if no, if I can't have you, basically no one can have you. Yeah. And it's difficult. They're both contracted to work with Sunset, but Sunset's giving her like shitty movie parts and stuff. And that makes it really hard for her to, you know, start over basically. Right. Yeah. So, um, as Sarah just said, Evelyn is ostracized in Hollywood, um, because of the power and loyal that they loyal power and loyalty that um the adler family has um in hollywood so uh in order to try to get her career back on path she goes to paris and stars in a racy film by french director max gerard gerard um that actually reignites her career um Mm -hmm. it ends up being one of the movies she's most famous for um yeah it's like she plays a character that embodies everything that she is she's like this sexual extremely feminine She's got, they describe her as being like super, super skinny, but with huge boobs, but she's, she's of Cuban descent. So she's like got bronze skin, but she dyes her hair really blonde and stuff. So she's like this enigma of what people don't look like. And in the film, people almost, almost see her boobs, which is like this huge deal. And so it's very enticing for a wide variety of audiences because of this like sexual actress that she is basically. Yeah. Um, so a tabloid runs an article suggesting that Evelyn and Celia are lesbians and Evelyn concocts a plan to hide their relationship. And this uh, is where things I think start to go downhill when she starts marrying people to hide her relationship well, yeah. with a woman. I feel like it really, cause I mean, only half of her marriages were out of anything other than hiding her relationship with Celia St. James. Right. And that's, I think the, like the f- not fun, but funny i guess kicker at the end of it is like she's also known for having all of these husbands and like having all of these affairs and everything and it's like it was all fake just all of her just to cover one person for for almost her entire life i mean she meets she's 21 when she meets celia so yeah and they're on and off again for the rest of her life so yeah um so she decides to get with mick riva who is a um riva riva whatever um he's a singer who has made his crush on evelyn publicly known um so he his true rock star fashion uh he takes her to las vegas and marries her um but then they get the marriage annulled in the morning so this she believes (laughs) will (laughs) distract the press um from her possibly being a lesbian um the plan works uh except for that evelyn uh, who had to sleep with Mick in order to get him to marry her is pregnant. Yeah. Um, so then Evelyn gets an abortion, but Celia is furious about her sleeping with Mick um, and leaves her and they do not speak for five years. Yeah. So everything she did. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, kind of a weird way to go about it. And I can see that the person on the other side of the relationship that like Celia would be having a difficult time with it. Yeah. But one thing that does grow in a really kind of, nice and genuine way is her relationship with harry at this time and the friendship that they have because he's like he's the one who takes her to tijuana to get the abortion and takes care of her and the relationship is falling apart with celia but he acts as really a a steady rock for her during this really volatile and emotional time which is really nice and they develop a a deep genuine friendship which is really nice so actually around this time we see that celia's love for evelyn is conditional which you know, most romantic relationships yeah. are, there are conditions, but yeah. I think that Harry's love for her is a lot more unconditional and he seems to be there even when other people don't yeah. approve of what she's doing. So and it's I, really beautiful. I, I think in some ways it is easier to love someone completely unconditionally when there isn't that romantic element because Absolutely. there's a lot of vulnerability with the romantic element in a relationship and yeah. she and Harry were able to look at each other at just at what they were right and they were able to feel just the, accept each other right as they, they, were. they yeah. didn't need to change it they just fit into their lives that way but celia was wanting her to also be someone that at this point evelyn wasn't evelyn at right. this point is a bisexual woman and yes. celia is a lesbian so yeah. i think that that was also really difficult for her celia that is to wrap her head around the fact that like there was something out there that she could never give yeah mm-hmm. to her yeah so um so evelyn's still acting she stars in this adaptation of anna karenina which is like a serious movie big break for her and she marries this is her third marriage uh fourth marriage fourth marriage 
her yep, fourth, marriage fourth marriage to her co-star um rex north and they actually have a they concoct a plan to marry each other for publicity and to make it look like he's kind of settled down but also to make it look like their relationship in the movie is emulated by their relationship outside of it and they're able to keep it really quiet um but and it, it works and they get good reviews for it and stuff but eventually rex comes to her one day and says like i'm in love with someone else it turns out to be a former co-star of evelyn and so they're trying to decide he's like i love her i want to marry her but also i've gotten her pregnant and i told her that we would get married before the baby comes so they decide that they're going to spin this story that they've both been cheating but people can't really be mad about it because rex's girlfriend is pregnant and he's going to be the father but evelyn also you know everyone looks bad so no one looks bad kind of thing right so she spins a story that she's been cheating with harry cameron at this time who she finds out has been a closeted gay man and then um evelyn and celia eventually reunite at a movie award show at this point celia is married to an nfl quarterback who is also a gay man that mm-hmm. is closeted everyone's beards for each other in this book everyone's beards. <laughs> and yep. she, i think she says that at some point just four beards hanging out right so eventually it all works out because it turns out that john who is celia's husband is in love with Harry and Celia is in love with Evelyn. So they're two <laughs> they're two LGBTQ couples that are spending time Just with each a big other old rainbow family. Yeah. And <laughs> and they're posing they're passing as two heterosexual couples and it just looks like they're all really close. They all travel together, they live up the street from each other. And so during this period in their life, which is like it goes on for a long time, years yeah. and years and years. Yeah. Um life is pretty idyllic. Like she's with Celia. They're able to go out and about and do whatever they want. They've got these marriages, but it gets a little interesting because Harry says, you know, I would like to have a child. And Evelyn also wants to have a kid. And so they all mutually agree them being like John and Celia and everyone mutually agree that it's okay. And so uh, they have a baby girl. Her name is Connor. And they just kind of are in this point in their lives where it all seems like it could work. Yeah. But nothing, nothing lasts like it should. No. And I think some of it, again, is Celia still having issues of the fact that she could never be a man for Evelyn. And she thinks that for some reason, maybe her sexuality is like lacking in that department. Like, Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because she's, she's very supportive of the fact that Evelyn wants to have a child. Mm-hmm. She has no problem with that and the role that she's going to fill in Connor's life. Right. But when we get to this next part, she does have a problem with, like, she's supportive in interesting areas. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Evelyn stars in another Max Gerard movie, um, and the director asks her to film an explicit sex scene in it. Um, she decides that she will, and she she does it. But She does um, it. And it's, it's not necessarily that it's an explicit scene. It's that it's with her ex-husband. It's with her ex-husband, which makes it, um, Uncomfortable. yeah, dicey. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she does it, and I think she actually feels a lot of power in it. Um, yeah, she does. From the scene. Um, but then Evelyn realized afterwards that she should have discussed it with Celia first. Yeah. Um, so she goes to Celia and asks permission, hoping that Celia will say yes, and she can pretend like she asked for permission first before yeah. she did it. But um, Celia says, absolutely not. Tells well, her she, to not. She says, I like, I understand that you would want to do it, but it's going to be really difficult for me. And I really don't want you to. Right. Like she says, she basically says in more or less words of like, no, don't film it. Um, yeah. But the problem is that she already did. So yeah. Evelyn tells her that, that she already did the scene. Um, and Celia leaves Evelyn again. Uh, so they're once again separated and don't speak for several years. Yeah. Um, in the interim, uh, John Braverman, Celia's husband, dies. Um, and Harry is absolutely crushed. You know, the love of his life yeah. um, is gone. So he begins drinking excessively um, to the point really bad. Like he's an alcoholic at this point. Yeah. Um, and just really struggling to be there for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So it's really sad. Um, and then uh, Max Gerard proposes to Evelyn because uh, I believe Harry and Evelyn decide to get divorced. They do. 
after John Braverman dies. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty short turnaround, but they realize, like, they don't need to be married anymore. They're obviously still going to be in each other's lives and they have a child together. But the whole right. reason really that they were married was so that foursome of people worked out. And now that there wasn't a need for that anymore. So yeah. Evelyn thinks that she's got this like passion with Max Gerard that she hadn't had in previous relationships. And she feels like, although it's not Celia, it is meeting her needs in some ways, but then it's it, like the night after they get married, it's apparent that he doesn't really love her he loves the idea of her and the fame and the status that comes with her and she stays married to him for a long time but like six years five six years like they're married for a while but during this time she's been reaching out to Celia and they start writing each other and she is gonna go and visit Celia and as she's like getting ready to board the plane and to do all that Max discovers all the letters that they've written and he basically is like I'm gonna out you to everyone and she's like I don't think you would. And then she goes and gets on the plane. Right. Um, And she reunites with Celia. And Celia is like, you know, we could maybe have this life together. And Evelyn's like, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for the commitment and to get out of the limelight. And I'm ready to do all those things like we couldn't do before. And so they're like, why don't we move to Spain? And it's all good and fine until Celia says, I have emphysema. And I'm probably not going to live that much longer. Right. And she asks Evelyn, she's like, can you can you do the losing me thing again? Because although we could have these happy years together, like it's going to be just as devastating as before, because this time it's going to be permanent. And Evelyn's like, yes. So Evelyn is like, we'll ask Harry to go with us. We'll all go together. And Harry says, look, I have this guy that Celia can marry. It's this new person that I'm seeing. You know, he didn't think he'd find love again, but he does find love with this new person. Um, But Evelyn goes over to Harry's house when they're supposed to be getting ready to go and sees that his car has been in an accident. It's out in front of his house. Harry's unconscious in the driver's seat. And the man who she assumes is the person that Harry was in love with is dead. Mm -hmm. So Evelyn gets her taxi driver to help her get Harry to the hospital. And then they kind of stage it like the driver. The passenger was the driver. Mm -hmm. Um and then the she's like, what do I need to do to make it so that you never say this to anyone? And the taxi driver's like, just make me famous. So she calls Don Adler, of all people, who at this point, they've reconnected. And he's like, I was a terrible person. And I was drunk and blah, blah, blah. And so they're right. they're not friends, but they're friendly. Friendly, yeah. And he's like, whatever you need. Because, like, Harry's dead, obviously. And everybody knows this is devastating for her. And she's like, just put this guy in your movie. So Harry goes ahead and does it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Harry, Harry dies at the hospital. Um, so, yeah, he dies yeah. at the hospital. Really, really sad. Um, I was, I was definitely crying at this point. I um, was like, this was a big surprise because yeah. because she never talks about him really in the past tense up until this point when she's recounting everything. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess she's telling her life story like as it if it was happening, so yeah. she wouldn't necessarily. But yeah, I didn't think he was gonna die. Right. And she never she never says things like, oh, like when Harry was alive or whatever before he died or anything. Like right. That. No. It, yeah. It comes out of out of nowhere. Yeah. So um, Evelyn, Celia and Connor do move to Spain along with Celia's brother, Robert, um, who Evelyn agrees to marry to disguise her relationship with Celia. And it works out because like Robert is kind of a notorious playboy. But yeah. Celia is like, if you don't marry him, then when I die, you're not going to have any like we're not going to be able to give you anything. It's going to go to him. Maybe, maybe it'll go to the state, you know, like you have to marry him in order to be able for me to give you things. And them moving to Spain is really good for Connor because Connor has been acting out a ton since Harry died. Yeah. And so the, like Celia and Evelyn agree that she needs to like move away from the drug and party scene and everything. Cause they're back in New York now and it's like a lot more hardcore than it was in LA in general. So that was definitely a good move for her too. Yeah, definitely. Um, And Robert isn't in the show business. So that's kind of something different for Evelyn as well. Yeah. He's Um, in finance. Finance, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they're in Spain and then Celia passes away six years later. um, And then Robert dies a few years later after that. Yeah. And, And then not long after that, Connor, her daughter is diagnosed with breast cancer and she also dies. So, yeah, Evelyn explains that um, at the time of her telling the story to um, the writer, uh, she's explaining that she's also been diagnosed with breast cancer and she wants people to know the truth about her life um, and that her family was always her central priority, her family and her love. 
Um, And that, you know, she did terrible things, but she did them for what she perceived was the right reasons and, and to keep her family and her love together. So. Yeah, because, I mean, we're still, they've been now spending, Evelyn and Monique have been spending weeks and weeks and weeks together, yeah. putting together this biography, and Monique still isn't sure, one, why she was picked to write this, and two, what the timeline is. She keeps asking right. Evelyn, like, when am I supposed to put this book out? And Evelyn just keeps saying, after I'm dead, and she's like, well, when is that going to be? Well, she finds out that she's got breast cancer, it's late stage breast cancer. Yeah. Um, and then we finally get to the big part, which is that when... She keeps telling um, Monique that, like, she was a terrible person and you're going to think I'm a terrible person. Yeah. But at this point in the story, you're like, nothing is that, like, it's not great, like, but it's not like bad. The, like, it's all. Like, the car wreck is bad, but she's. Yeah. But you're still kind of like, that was a bad thing. Yes. But it didn't necessarily, like, you didn't actually kill anybody. Right. You know? Yeah. It's still kind of confusing about, like, why she keeps harping on the fact that Monique specifically is going to hate her. Right. So then Evelyn finally says that Harry had fallen in love with a black man who was named James and that he is who died. And that was Evelyn's dad. So uh, Uh, that was Monique's dad. So Monique has believed her whole life that the story that Evelyn concocted, which was that James, Monique's dad, was out driving drunk. Um, because they moved Harry from the scene and put him in the car and everything, and, like, it was never questioned. And Monique is obviously furious. Um, Then Evelyn's like, look, like, you're... I wanted you to know the truth and stuff. And she gives this letter that her dad had written to Harry that said, basically, like, I love you, and I want you to move to Spain, but I can't go with you because I'm, I'm really committed to my family. Like, I love my wife, and I love my daughter, and I can't be apart from them, you know, just like you couldn't be apart from your family, same thing. Yeah. Um, but she's like, I I wanted you to know after all this time, basically, that your dad really loved you, regardless yeah. of who he was. And I mean, obviously, Monique had no idea, and her mom had no idea that this was a thing. Um, yeah. So Monique leaves, she's furious, but then she realizes that Evelyn's told her all of this because she's going to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Evelyn kind of touches on this. She says, you know, like another reason that I chose you was because of a piece that you did on death with dignity and the respect that you showed for just, for just telling people's story without putting your own judgment on it. So Monique kind of considers calling 911, but she's like, look, it's Evelyn's choice. If she wants to die, she can die. And Monique realizes that like, I think I'll probably forgive Evelyn one day for everything, Mm -hmm. not just today, but she realizes that Evelyn was a really, really complicated person who was really flawed. She still had really good intentions in a lot of ways. And like, she was very deeply human. And that's, I think, one of her quotes is that Evelyn was just, she was extremely deeply human. So um, Evelyn's death is eventually reported as an accidental overdose. And Monique does go on to publish the introduction for her biography in Viviant. And basically the whole tagline of it is that like, although her life revolves around the fact that she had seven husbands, the great love of Evelyn's life was Celia St. James. Right. Evelyn wanted people to know without any bias in her story that she was a bisexual woman Mm -hmm. who had seven husbands, but the reason really behind it was this one person and that she basically did everything that she did to be with this one person. So... Every husband section has some sort of illustrative moniker on it. Like we talked about the poor Nate Diaz, the agreeable Robert Jameson, all that stuff. So did those set the tone for you in any way of like what the section to follow was going to sound like? I definitely think so. I think it was a way of kind of already seeing how Evelyn saw her different husbands. Right. um, Before we even knew anything about them. So yeah, I definitely think it's, I think it sets a little bit of a, um, of what to be expected from them, but, but from em- Evelyn's perspective, right. just like all of this is, but yeah. Right. And I, I, I liked it because it summed up some of the chapters were super short. Like, I mean, Nate Diaz's chapter obviously was really, really short and stuff, but it summed up exactly what that person was in, you know, three or less words, which is right. great. And yeah. it kind of set the tone, I think going into it for like what you were going to expect from Definitely. it. Um, who was your favorite husband? Harry, 100%. Yeah. No questions. Yes. I think he was probably 
also my favorite husband. Although I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed her marriage to Rex North. Just oh because yeah, I did too. Yeah, they they were like they were very fitted for each other. They both saw it as a strategic business move, which I thought was nice. Um, yeah. Which husband surprised you the most? I would probably say Don Adler, just because yeah. Evelyn was kind of also taken aback at like how he completely changed. Yeah. In the beginning, it seemed like he was a really sweet and genuine person, and then he got really jealous of her success really quickly, and it it came out in violence. So yeah, I was I was pretty sad that that turned out that way. I was, but I also I appreciated the reflection that she had on their relationship because despite all that, like that was the first person that Evelyn really loved. Like she, that's one of the only people she was married to that she felt like she genuinely loved. Yeah. And she wanted it to be very clear to Monique in the writing that just because he was an abuser doesn't mean that her feelings for him were black and white. Yeah. And that is not to say that I think you should love your abuser at all, but it, but it showed a really complex dynamic of, what it's like to be in those relationships and the feelings that people have, which I thought was really good. And I mean, I also felt that way about her, her terminal diagnosis being breast cancer, her boobs, basically what made her famous, what got her everywhere are what took away her life and what also took away the things she loved most, her daughter's life. So this, I think that Taylor Jenkins Reid did a really good job of putting elements like that into the story for sure. Yeah. Um, Evelyn gives lots of little nuggets of wisdom when she's mm-hmm. recounting your life. And she's pretty, she's pretty like unembarrassed about the yeah she like, really directness is. at what she, she lives her life by. So what's your favorite piece of advice that so she gives? I went through and had to look at them again. Um, uh-huh. But I think, I don't know if this is necessarily, necessarily advice, but just mm-hmm. like wisdom in general of mm-hmm. no one is just a victim or a victor. Everyone is somewhere in between. People who go around casting themselves as one or the other are not only kidding themselves, but they're painfully unoriginal. Ooh, good. Probably one of my favorite little snippets from the entire book. And I think it sums mm-hmm. up Evelyn Hugo in general, this whole book of, all of these people are like we, you know, like we said, like painfully human. Everybody yeah. is making mistakes, but they're also trying to do the best that they can. So yeah, no, I love that. What's yours? I love that. Um, I think mine is her very short one that just says, "Don't ignore half of me so you can fit me in a box." Don't do that. I um, love that. And yeah. I mean, I think that more than some of the other because I mean I also loved her like it's okay to grovel for something you really want yeah. <laughs> it's like it's mm-hmm. really I I like her very pragmatic outlook on the world with some of the stuff but like it was very she didn't know that she was a bisexual woman for a long period of her life and then she spent a long period of her life trying to figure out what that even meant for her yeah so I just I appreciated that she was direct with Celia you know the person that she really loved that that was something that like she didn't want to be done to her that she was not to be put in a box like you couldn't just ignore pieces of her because I think that's what she felt like society did to her a lot absolutely as a woman as an actress I mean she she's in the film with Don Adler Mm -hmm. um and he gets all kinds of praise for it but she's basically ostracized because of her role in it because a woman should not be deriving pleasure from sex and that be shown in films and stuff so I think that a lot of people did that to her uh, for many pieces of her life but in that moment sharing that with Celia that that was like expressly important to her that that not happened because that was also a major um point of strife for their relationship definitely was that that Celia was strictly a gay woman yeah and that um Evelyn wasn't right and I think, too, that Evelyn, for a long time, I think she tried to appease Celia in a lot of different ways, Mm -hmm. um, particularly with that piece, um, with Evelyn's sexuality. And like you said, the whole the whole rest of the world was trying to pigeonhole her into a box. And she just no matter how much she loved Celia, she wasn't going to let the one person she loved most in the world, other than her daughter, obviously, um, to to do that to her anymore. And that if Celia loved her, she needed to love all of her. Right. And, her. and that's not to say that, like, 
I think Evelyn was not flawed in their relationship. I think oh, she was no. deeply flawed. She had yeah. she had set for herself goals very, very, very early on. And mm-hmm. she was unafraid to climb over people to get to them. And she was always very unapologetic of that. And she actually yeah. says that to Celia when they sit down and they're getting milkshakes and kind of talking for the first time that you have to be able to screw people over and not feel badly about it if that's your end goal. So that's an yeah. element that I think Celia knew about her and maybe just expected would change, but there were, Evelyn had goals. She had the things that she wanted to do and she unapologetically lived her life that way. Yeah. And it does sound like when she's recalling this story and telling the story of her life that she has a little bit of regret from it. But for the most part, she says, you know, I don't regret anything about my life. I have very, I have very, very few regrets about all of that. So, yeah. And I think a lot of that comes or a lot of the way she acts and the way she doesn't necessarily regret it. And the way she talks about it is from the fact that, you know, all the men around her were doing the exact same thing in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They were stepping on other people. They were, you know, they letting were their ambition be very obvious. Getting married, getting divorced, taking risky roles, you know, doing yeah. all of that. And and I that is one element of the story that I really liked that one, Evelyn was so unapologetic, but also that she used her femininity and sexuality as nothing more than a tool to get to what she wanted. It wasn't something that was wielded against her. She decided how and when it was used and it was always to her benefit because women don't get to do that. No, definitely not. And you know, she also, I mean, she exploited it. She knew that like men looked at her and wanted her. So she decided to make that her career of being the, you know, the image that all these men want. And, and she she wanted other women to do it too. I mean, they yeah. were obviously all in competition, but she says that to Celia. She's like, you know, I fit this one image of what people want, but you fit this other image of what men want. And like, you should also use that to your advantage. So right. she was, she was both a champion and not a champion of women. Like it was, it's interesting. It is definitely interesting. And again, it, it comes from a place and I, I'm not sure if Evelyn actually says it, but Evelyn is a pretty selfish person. Yeah, Um, totally. And and again, a lot of these people in the care, in the story are to an extent. um, But the one thing that Evelyn doesn't do is act like she's a perfect person. She knows that she's selfish. She knows that she's ambitious to a fault. And she never acts like she's not a selfish person. She never right. plays it off like somehow it's somebody else's fault or whatever. Like it's right. she acknowledges it. And she she owns up to that at multiple points in the story, too, that she is a selfish person. And for a long time, she did, you know, things for her. And then eventually it was she was doing things for her family. But, yeah, it it worked out that the things she wanted aligned with the things that she as a good person should have done in a lot of ways, like protecting her family and doing all that. But it's not like she didn't get everything she wanted out of it either. Right. And I think that one question that comes up a lot from this book is like, is Evelyn a trustworthy narrator? And I think she (laughs) is because she fully acknowledges all her faults. I don't think she's trying to hide anything. I think it's actually quite the opposite. I think she's pretty hard on herself. She just doesn't necessarily regret it. You know? Right. And I think that because she states like, I don't have any regrets and she, she's like, I want you to publish everything and I want everyone to have all the information and make these decisions. It does make her a trustworthy narrator because yeah. they're all, she even says it. She's like all the people that I have to tell secrets about are dead. Yeah. Like, she there's, no, nothing there's, nothing, there's nothing to gain or lose from this. Like all of these people are dead. I'm not getting money from Don Adler because he hit me and I'm going to put it in a book. Like it's not like that. So right. all of the other people that she's talking about now, it, it is interesting. Like she's talking about dead people, right? There's no, there's no one that can defend themselves for the way that she tells the story, but yeah. she tells it in a way in which it also makes her look bad. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's much easier to believe that in that scenario, she's telling the truth and she's reliable in the information for sure. Yeah. And you know, everybody has their sides, but it seems like at least from how she viewed it, that it's all factual and she's not trying to right. spin herself in a certain way. Right. So, um, if you could interview a celebrity at the end of their life, who would it be? And what would you ask them? So why don't you go first? Okay. So I was thinking about this and I, when I lived in California, I was really into celebrities and like, cause you'd see them around and I'm not as much anymore, but I think probably Angelina Jolie, just because I felt like she was someone who had a lot of privilege and a lot of money, but she's one of the few celebrities who, really did stuff with it I don't know that there's any specific questions well um does she really think that Brad cheated on her with Jennifer Aniston how'd that all go down like that I'd like to know 
Okay. But, but like, hold the no, whole, that whole triangle the whole, happens. The whole triangle. But just to talk to her about, like, how she made the decision that she was going to leave behind a pretty lucrative acting career because she doesn't do that many movies and shows and stuff anymore. Yeah. And she is a huge humanitarian who's made this like huge impact globally. So just to pick her brain about it, because she does stuff that a lot of celebrities I feel like don't. Yeah. And she's pretty open about what she does with it. Yeah. 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 Um, My celebrity for multiple reasons would be Taylor Swift. Um, (laughs) I should have known that. Yeah. I don't know why my other, my other thought immediately as well, other than Taylor Swift was Freddie Mercury, but I'm going to go with Taylor Swift. Um, And Taylor, I'm a massive Taylor Swift fan. That's why Sarah's laughing. Um, (laughs) But really the question I would want to ask her is that, um, you know, she's known to be very autobiographical in her songs Mm -hmm. um, and almost to a fault where, everyone is speculating about every single song she writes about who it's about and what happened. Mm -hmm. And I would just ask her if that was worth it because it's coming from a place of being an artist and everything, but especially recently she's done that a lot less. So I wonder if maybe that impacted her life badly more than it did. Yeah. In a good way. So I, I've always struggled with that element of art and artists and people who write songs and books and stuff and include elements of other people because I do feel like the other people in the relationship in some ways have a right to privacy. It was a relationship sure. between the two of them, you right. know? Yeah. But at the same time, it's her life. And so I feel like she gets to express and talk about it. Right. It, I do wonder what it would be like if one of her exes wrote a song in the same tone that she writes them about and put it out and like the critiques that they would receive and how she would feel. I don't know if that's happened because I don't know much about it. And I know like, I know she's had some pretty high profile relationships and she was really vilified in the press for, you know, dating so much, um, which I say with air quotes because I just feel that that whole conversation about women is so old and overdone and ridiculous. But I, I do feel for people who don't have a right to privacy, I guess, is the biggest thing. Yeah. And there have been some of her exes who have written other songs and they are not even close to as vilified as her. And she even brings it up just men in general. A lot of other men write songs about their relationships and they're not vilified. So, yeah. You know, sexism rearing its ugly hat again. They are vilified by me. I think it's wrong, but (laughs) not by the general public. Yeah, all men. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah. All right. Of all the themes in the books, spousal relationships, friendship, betrayal, abuse, the cost of fame, sexual orientation, and gender on spectrums, which one did you identify with, and were the most impacted by? So the one I'm most identified with is going to be gender gender Um, yeah yeah and it's it's the thing that I could relate to the most because um you know I'm a straight woman who's never experienced domestic abuse you know never Mm -hmm. experienced fame but we've all seen the effects of differences in gender sexism all of that Mm -hmm. so being able to see how even this character who has all these different things going for her still has to experience that I thought I thought it was done in a really good way um I thought it was a really genuine way. It wasn't, it it seems like that's absolutely what someone could have experienced back then, you know? Yeah. And even till now, I mean, it, it goes over all these different things about gender in her life too. You know, when she's a young woman, she's not thought of as anything more than, you know, like a piece of ass. Um, But then as she gets older, you know, she's looked at as she's not attractive or sexual anymore you know like yeah, she's, she's she's aged out of that very small window yeah and yeah. that affects her you know value as a woman yeah. so yeah I think that was all mo- the most impactful for me yeah I think the most impactful for me was probably the portrayal of friendships and the different dynamics of friendships throughout her life yeah just because I moved a lot as a kid. So my, you're my oldest friendship, I think at this point, and we've been friends for about 10 years. I mean, obviously there are people who have lifelong friends and stuff, but there's a very different dynamic and to see her relationship grow with Harry as friends. And then to see her relationship, you know, her friendship with Celia grow into something that's more than a friendship and to know that she was relatively isolated for a lot of her life for someone who was so popular and beloved by so many that she lived a life of, 
solitude in a lot of ways one because she was a movie star and they kind of have small circles and do that but two because she had a big secret that she was hiding and there were very few people that she could trust with it right yeah but i i like that this book was able to examine some adult mature themes but it examined so many so many big ones And, and i feel like gave a lot of them the appropriate weight that they hold and were you know detailed them in really really nice ways that as someone who has not known what the cost of fame might be you know to read what that feels like and obviously this is a fictional character but I think it's probably fairly apt and appropriate to what it actually is like in reality so yeah and I think too you know one of the biggest themes was sexual orientation and yeah um not only you know especially what um gay people back then experienced but also Evelyn, you know, with her spectrum of sexuality, you know, even other gay people in her life expected to put her in a box of gay or straight. And, you know, and she was saying, you know, it's, it's a spectrum and it's something that is recently being talked about more now, but I know Mm -hmm. at least not, you know, five, 10 years ago, it wasn't necessarily. So no, um, it mirrors I think the struggle that a lot of bisexual individuals have, because that's right. for some reason, it's a concept that's so foreign to people. I mean, it's for some people, it's a struggle to even think about gay relationships or yeah. lesbian relationships because it feels backwards to them, not to anyone on this podcast, but then <laughs> even within the LGBTQ community, yeah, bisexual individuals have a very, it, a very confusing space that they occupy and I know that from friends of mine who are bisexual they've expressed that it's very difficult to have even people who you would think would be very understanding to be understanding of where they fall on that spectrum because it it has a little of each and that's really difficult for people for some reason to to understand yeah and like the same way with um with uh Celia where a lot of people assume that if a woman is with a man then she's straight. Right. And, you know, it completely uh, erases half of someone's identity if they're bisexual. So, yeah. And I think that that is kind of shown, shown well in from, at least from my perspective. Yeah. In, no, I think so. And now this is the perspective of two, of two, two straight, women. straight women. Right. That's why I but, said in my perspective. I, I, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm difficult, but also, I mean, interesting to read and to be able to expand what I think about it and how I feel about it and to read obviously again a fictional narrative of it but something that I believe could be kind of true to form in terms of it so yeah that was good yeah um as we get towards the very last couple pages Monique is getting on the subway and she realizes that Evelyn's going to end her life Mm -hmm. and she Thinks about calling 911 and she decides not to and she decides that she's going to let Evelyn do that. Do you agree with Monique's decision to not stop her or to call anyone to stop her? I I am a firm believer that people should be able to live their lives how they want. And yeah. I think that does go for how they end their lives as well. Yeah. Particularly because, you know, Evelyn just watched her daughter go through breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Now she's been diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the want to not have to go through that, especially by herself. She doesn't have anybody else. So right. she feels like maybe she's, she probably feels like she's had a full life and wants to have dig- dignity and death. And I, I do agree. Yeah. Um, I understand that it would be hard in Monique's position in reality, but, but yeah. no, I, I would probably do the same thing. I, I do feel badly for Monique in this instance because she gets this bombshell of information dropped on her, which she, I mean, she's having to struggle with the fact that she's been presented this great financial opportunity that could also be career changing for her, but it comes at the the consequence and price of finding out this information. And then the person who has the most information about it is now going to die. And I think that creates a very conflicting situation for her. But I absolutely agree with Monique's decision because there are so many things that we police people for. Yeah. And I mean, if you say you're going to kill yourself, you're placed in a mental institution. But if you want to drink yourself to death, Mm-hmm. You're allowed to do that. And if you want to take a bunch of drugs and die, you're allowed to do that. And if you want to get married 50 times, you're allowed to do that. But if someone says, I don't want to be alive anymore, 
yeah we only look at it in the context well and i mean death with dignity and physician assisted suicide across the country especially in the united states is a super controversial topic yeah but right now it's only allowed for people who have an illness that is expected to kill them within six months anyway yeah and i just look at that and think god you know of all the things that we police people for while we also want them to be independent and free thinking and to have autonomy over themselves, like this is the one thing we don't let them do. Now, if you're 12 years old and say it, I, right. you know, but if you're an adult, if you, your frontal cortex is fully developed and you don't want to be here, I just don't feel like anybody has the right to tell you, like, just stick it out 10 more years and see how you feel. Could things change? Absolutely. Would you feel differently at that time? Pr- probably. But yeah. We just, we police people's thoughts then at that point, especially it was someone in Evelyn's situation. Like her daughter was given a couple months to live. She ended up living a year and a half, but she was miserable. And Evelyn's 79. She's diagnosed with late stage breast cancer. She's seen it before. Like to feel like that's not a decision she gets to make. I I feel very strongly that that is a decision that anyone gets to make. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously very different if you're wanting to not be alive anymore because of depression or mental illness or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I understand where people would feel like it's a controversial topic or be sensitive towards it. But, but especially in this situation, I think it's very obvious that it's, she's wanting a death with dignity. You know, it's, I don't necessarily think it's that she wants to just die. You know, I think it's that she knows she's going to die. She knows she's had a a good life and she wants to die on her own terms. And I, I think it's wrong for anybody to take that decision away from someone. However, uh, I understand, I, I do hate the situation that Monique was put in because I know I would be waffling between, am I letting her die because I think she wants death with dignity and I understand that? Or am I letting her die because I'm furious with her, you know? And I feel like. Monique probably had that little inner turmoil, but I think she comes to the end. And I think her, her writing beforehand about people Mm -hmm. who wanted to die with suicide and everything helped her through that. I don't, I don't know if she would have been able to do it otherwise. No, I think, I mean, during this whole thing, she does come to the conclusion that like, she'll be able to forgive Evelyn once, but she needs time for it. So I don't think that she was letting her die like out of anger. No, Um, but I'm I'm sure that like thought would have crossed my mind and I would be concerned that that would be something I look back on, but right. Yeah. But no, I, I do think that, I think that her motives were pure with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Did you have a theory as to why you thought Evelyn picked Monique to be the one that wrote it in the beginning? I'm not sure. I I thought that her writing about the assisted suicides and everything was going to come back around. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I didn't necessarily I kind of had some inklings maybe that Evelyn was sick, but yeah. Um I definitely didn't see what was coming. My theory yeah. wasn't even close to that. I I thought that maybe it was again it was the subjects that she picked and how she approached it and maybe mm-hmm. Evelyn wanting to boost a young woman who she liked her writing. Okay. I didn't see the big twist coming. What about you? So I thought pretty much from the beginning that Evelyn was sick when she yeah. talked about, I mean, it's, it's like it's in the first chapter or second chapter when she says, you're going to release this when I die. I was like, oh, she must be dying. Right. And yeah. if she's, mm-hmm. if she's doing the tell all now, like it's not really even, a, it was, it ended up being a deathbed confessional kind of because she did kill herself at the end of it. But yeah. I figured that she had to be coming up on it or was expecting yeah. to come up on it. Um, yeah. I didn't know. Well, so when her mom's talking, she asked her mom, like, do you have pictures of dad on set and all this stuff? And there's like influence or there's emphasis placed on the fact that her dad worked in and around movie stars. I was like, Oh, I wonder if it has something to do with her dad. And then when we get to the scene where there's another, she doesn't talk about who that passenger in the car is at that point. But I was like, I wonder if that's her dad. Yeah. Um, But no, I didn't, when it all came together, it definitely was nicely brought together. And I didn't, I didn't see every piece of it coming all at once, which I thought was really nice. Yeah. Especially I think because, um, Monique and her Monique's mom talk about constantly of like what a love story Monique's parents were and how mm-hmm. in love they were. And, you know, they set the example for that. So I think the, mm-hmm. the twist that Monique's father was actually it, at least bisexual, mm-hmm. um, 
and was having an affair. I think yeah. that's, that was a very big shock. Yeah. Although, I mean, when her, she has the conversation with her mom kind of when it's all said and done mm-hmm. and she talks about her mom's like, it was never about like the passionate yeah. sexuality yeah. of the relationship. It was about that. We were genuinely good friends. We generally, we cared for each other and stuff. And so right. when she was talking about those, it almost made me think that maybe her mom knew right. that her dad had another side to him. Maybe he didn't know to the extent of it, but was at least understanding maybe yeah maybe about it i mean obviously we'll never know that part or at least had like an inkling you know right yeah do you do you think evelyn told monique the whole thing in a good way i think i think it was another case of evelyn hugo being manipulative um yeah and and you know getting what she wanted um kind of by any means necessary i don't think she was trying to be cruel but i think that she knew that if she told her right off the bat in the way that most people probably would say that she should have Monique wouldn't have done the story. And so I don't know. I I don't think it was a good way, but I also see why Evelyn did it. Um, I do think that keeping the letter all those years and uh, finding her and being able to give that piece to Monique, I think it's great, but I, it wasn't a great way to tell her. No, (laughs) you know, it, I, so I didn't hate the way that she told her like she as almost like retribution for it she created an opportunity for Monique that even if Monique never forgave Evelyn she was taking care of Monique which I liked because she obviously felt connected to her knowing that like she was connected to Harry Harry was connected to Monique's dad and so on so I liked that and I felt like with the information that Evelyn was going to end up sharing had she not gone through the whole life story, it would have been 30 times worse. So do I think that like drawing it out over weeks and weeks and then, you know, and then being like, and now I'm going to kill myself. Like that's, it's complicated, but I don't think it was, I don't think it was bad. And I, I really struggled to see a way that it would have been like significantly better to just like outright be like my ex-husband slash best friend slash person that I got married to to protect my sexuality and his sexuality was having an affair with your dad like for someone you don't know for a movie star you don't know to just one day out of the blue like throw that on you I almost feel like without creating the relationship that they did through this biography process it would have been like a, a shit show yeah and I think that's where it really comes down to it is like there is no good way (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know um and I agree that like the backstory and creating the relationship was important but I also Mm -hmm. I still think it was a little bit of Evelyn manipulating um yeah but you know manipulation isn't always a bad thing she was manipulating the situation to give her the context to put her Monique in the best position after she told her so yeah because Evelyn could have easily just taken that to her grave yeah no one would have questioned it Right. No one would have questioned it. It never would have been a problem. Monique would have just fondly thought of her father, you know, throughout her right. life. Like, and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have changed anything to right. not tell anyone really. Right. So I do feel like in a lot of ways, Evelyn kind of, I don't, I guess got to choose how she wanted to do it because she was at her last act was to admit to probably the worst thing she'd ever she'd done. Ever done. Yeah, exactly. Which, I just don't feel like you do, you know, you're on your deathbed. Like you don't have to do that. You don't have to go out that way. Right. It doesn't excuse what Evelyn did, but I also feel like Evelyn was in a really tough situation. Like she mm-hmm. was trying to protect the person she loved the most. So I think it's more complicated maybe than Monique initially gave her credit for. Although it yeah. seems like as she's working through it, she does realize that like it was deeply complicated. Yeah. And I think that Monique is in a, she's the kind of person it seems like who would be able to handle the complexity of that kind of situation. So right, yeah. immediately, you know, the emotions take over, but she soon starts to work through it. And I, I think that yeah. she respects Evelyn for being complex. And I think she probably respects Evelyn for telling her at yeah. the end of the day. So, yeah. yeah. Did you find the ending satisfactory? I did. I thought it was yeah. a good ending. Um, I thought it was the perfect way to, I thought it was a perfect way to end it, to be honest. I, yeah. I, I thought with everything ending, was going. Yeah. I found it so much more satisfactory than Verity. <laughs> oh, so much more. Yes. Verity. Totally. Yeah. Verity. I was like, okay, but this one, it, everything fit. It, yeah. uh, it was just, it was just and, much better. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely signaled to me that I like books that do tie everything up. 
I don't necessarily like books that leave things in question, but I will say just these two books altogether, I felt part of the reason why I found the ending more satisfactory because I kind of felt like this book was better written than Verity. I I think so. And I think the characters were better. I think I started to care for and empathize with these characters a lot more than I did in Verity. Right. Um, Both sets of books have complex, morally gray characters. Yeah. But but in Evelyn Hugo, I feel like they're more realistic. And I feel like you can be more empathetic and understand where they're coming from more. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I care about them more. They're significant. I mean, they're totally different books and yes. it's it's we're really comparing apples and oranges i'm really, really comparing are. apples and oranges yeah. but yeah i mean overall i was very satisfied with the ending i feel like there was it gave a point to the whole lead up i mean in verity you get this whole lead up same thing autobiography style going through this person's life basically yeah. and then you're left with a lot of questions which is obviously the intent of it it's to provoke right. thought and to to leave you to make your own decision as the reader yeah. but yeah i found the ending of this exceedingly satisfactory and i will give it 4.89 stars oh wow okay it's hard to get a perfect five okay it's hard Um, to get a perfect five i will give it i'm gonna say 4.3 i'm gonna say what'd you take off for um i think mostly just because i think it's mostly just because i this isn't typically a book i kind of read to be honest with you yeah it was it was a book that book talk was raving about and mm-hmm. I think it was the first Book Talk book that I actually read that wasn't fantasy. I was going into it with a very open mind. I wasn't expecting much, to be honest with you. I've been burned <laughs> by Book Talk before. Oh my god, um, yes. But it was it was it it exceeded my expectations, I will say. But yeah. I think it's just that it's not the kind of book that I tend to lean towards, mm-hmm. but it's one I would recommend to everyone. Yeah, I would highly recommend it to everyone. And I'm interested to see what else Taylor Jenkins Reed has written. I think she did one that I've actually been wanting to read for a while. I think it's Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, and I think it's yeah. another historical fiction, only oh, like a band. Like she's rock and done roll. she's done a couple. So Daisy Jones and the Six, One True Loves, Maybe in Another Life, After I Do, Forever and Interrupted. So I'll have to read some of her other books. I'm very interested okay. in her writing style. That was great. Yeah. Um is there anything else that you're watching, reading, or listening to right now? Well, we both watched season two of Bridgerton. <laughs> Maybe um, we'll do an episode just on that. Just on Bridgerton? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, I watched that in, I think it was a day, too. Yeah, um, I watched it in like nine hours and the whole thing's eight hours long. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I took breaks. <laughs> I no. wasn't that crazy. But um, so I watched all of that. Um I finished, uh, I mentioned before the book that I had to read before the next from blood and ash book, um, where everybody was like, Oh, it's all coming. It's coming out tomorrow, but you have to read this other book beforehand. It's like a prequel. So, so you I finished, finished that. Nice. Finished okay. that. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've started the next one. Um, nice. but I've been mostly reading my own book that I'm trying to yeah and I will be getting that first draft of part one here so soon I'm so excited um so I watched season two of Bridgerton I finished Vikings Valhalla Mm. um I'm almost done now with Ground of Midnight it's been Mm -hmm. a really busy weekend Uh. I'm uh, so I'm quitting my job and looking for different jobs I've been interviewing and doing a lot of stuff with that so I didn't have as much time to read as I would like to but I'm almost done with it now like I'll probably finish it today once you read it once you read the end you'll understand while I keep asking are you done with Crown of Midnight so Delaney and also someone that I work with are obsessed with the um Throne of Glass series and I'm not into it into it yet it's okay but but I, was I know way. that I know that the writing is going to pick up and it kind of, so so I'm working on that and then I'm also going to be reading our f- book one pick for April, mm-hmm. which is going to be People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. Yay! Which nice is very romance. exciting. Yay. Yeah, it's going to be kind of fun. This is another like super popular book talk recommendation. Yeah, and it's it's I think the newest book other than like new releases continuing in series this book is from may 2021 um yes there were there's a couple other ones that i've read that are newer um 
love hypothesis is one of them yeah it's newer yeah um but but yes it's i mean it's a new one yeah it's a new one that's super popular on book talk and we thought you know it's kind of like spring break time we're gonna get in the spirit yeah yeah so so on april 15th our episode one for april will come out it'll be people we meet on vacation and we'll let you know at that point what book two for april is going to be because we just don't know yet we don't know (laughs) We don't know, we but it'll be good. Like we see got, how it goes. We have such a good list, though, of like books. I'm just—it's so nice. It's been so nice to have a variety of genres too. It's been yeah, yeah. Because I, I think that's why we picked this next one. Of like, yeah. we haven't had like a real romance yet. So yeah. I've been incredibly deep in like high fantasy now for several books because we did. I finished out Akatar, Crescent City, now Throne of Glass, and these were like heavy book series that are highly highly high yeah (laughs) (laughs) highly highly high highly highly high so it's just nice it's a nice change of pace and i'm excited to read emily henry i've heard pretty good things about the book so yeah i have too and i i read 99 percent of fantasy so yeah it's where i'm like kind of forced to read something else is nice yeah i was i was on a really big like sports romance kick for a while that was like (laughs) reality but like you know obviously meet cutes and all that shit and i read some really good ones that i'm sure we'll read some or do episodes about them at some point but it's nice to also read stuff that's not like she meets the hockey player right (laughs) or like she meets the a lot of them are hockey players yeah (laughs) my husband's a hockey player but anyway so yeah i was super thrilled with this pick seven husbands of evelyn hugo just I thought overall amazing and I'm so excited for people we meet on vacation and I'm so glad you like seven husbands I thought you would but I'm I'm glad you liked it yeah oh yeah this is my cup of tea like if you guys have recommendations for stuff that's along this same vein please send it in I I really think we should do Daisy Jones and the Six this year yeah let's do it we'll put it on the list we totally haven't been plugging all the ways you can get in touch with us not even a little bit (laughs) we're horrible podcasters we're so bad but you can find us on Instagram at the Wicked Good Book Club or it's just Wicked Good Book Club Uh Um, and that's the best place to get in touch with us send us a DM there if you want to we do have listener sponsorships available through our anchor if you want to give us book money you can do that there we have our old email still if you want to send us something a lot lengthier um but we just didn't go through with changing over emails and everything like that so instagram is the best way to get in touch with us for sure and we're we're always on there so if you want to chat with us totally totally yes do that and that's where we'll you know we'll post uh when the episode's coming what Mm -hmm. we're doing it on all that jazz yeah so good information can always be found there um and feel free to tag us on stuff that you see we love fan art we love fan art we love fan art so if you see fan art that you love just tag us at wake a good book club because we want to take a look at that yeah and that's it we will catch you all april 15th for people we meet on vacation by emily henry love Peace it out bye